1: Hello, this is James Stansel, and welcome to the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with the author of Speculative Blackness, the Future of Race and Science Fiction, Andre M. Carrington. He's a professor of English at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and his book is published by the University of Minnesota Press. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview a lot. We're talking about science fiction and African-Americans place in it and Afrofuturism. He does a really good job giving you a definition of Afrofuturism uh, within this interview. And if you're familiar with Luke Cage or uh, Uhura from Star Trek or, you know, Black Lightning or any of your black characters or, you know, Kindred, in science fiction, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The place of black people and African-Americans in science fiction now, in the past and in the future. All right so pay attention listen up and enjoy speculative blackness is the interview today the author andre m carrington and i'm your host the new books network the african-american studies channel james stansel enjoy hello and welcome to the new books network i'm your host james stansel on the african-american studies channel and today i have the great pleasure of talking to a professor from drexel university dr andrew oh i'm sorry Andre M. Carrington. He's an assistant professor of English at Drexel University, and we're gonna be talking today about his book, Speculative Blackness: The Future of Race in Science Fiction. How you doing, Andre?
0: Doing well, thanks.
1: Good, good. Sorry about that. I've been hearing the word Andre my entire life, but today the first time I try to say it on a podcast, I end up tearing up the name. <laughs> All right. And so uh before we kind of get into the, the basics of, the, of your, your book here, Andre, I just want to tell you, you know, you're writing on a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I've been a fan of science fiction and, and space and technology and comic books and all those kind of things my whole life. So when I saw you wrote, wrote this book, I definitely wanted to have you on the show. So thank you so much for uh, your interest in this subject. Have you always been a fan of science fiction yourself?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I really have. I really came up knowing that that there was, you know, space travel was somewhere in our future. Right. That seeing people who looked like me sometime oh, yeah. someday in the future was a possibility or at least should be. So the topic has always been close to my heart and I've always been really entertained and inspired by it.
1: Yeah. Good. Good. Yes. Yeah, same here. And, you know, in today's world, there's so much more out there that we can be proud of and that we can see, you know, in terms of black science fiction or we're going to talk a lot about this term today, Afrofuturism, you know, a, a, as well. Um, but before we get into, you know, like I said, the meat and, the, you know, the main thing about your book, you know, our audience would like to know about the people who, who write these books and the, and the scholars who are behind them. So, Andre, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, your, your academic history, your, your background and what drew you specifically to this topic?
0: Well, um, first off, um, I grew up, I attended public school mm-hmm. in suburban Maryland. I feel like that's important to say now that Betsy DeVos has her <laughs> job. Um, and, and while I did that, I was really interested in science and I was motivated to really take it seriously and, and be excited about being good at it. Right. So when I went to college, I still had an enthusiasm for science as I discovered african-american studies which ended up being my major right and so for me you know the the sky was the limit in terms of sort of what i could do intellectually and i always knew that there would be obstacles but part of you know doing african-american studies and being enthusiastic about learning was you know developing this attitude that if you're enthusiastic about something and you do the work, right. You can really you can celebrate it and you can share that enthusiasm with other people. So when I you know when I went to college I, I cared a lot about things that I do now as a professor. I uh, teaching, you know, the works of Langston Hughes and a class on the Harlem Renaissance, right. teaching the thought of W E B. Du Bois and Anna Julia Cooper and oh, literature yeah. classes. And just that motivation to see myself and to see black folks throughout history as intellectuals is really part and parcel with you know, how much I care for and want people to learn from science fiction and, and comics and superheroes. So these are all intellectual products to be excited about.
1: Right. Absolutely, Andre. And, and, you know, in today's world and going into the future, people are really starting to see <clears throat> just that. That you know, comics and superheroes and science fiction, all type of spe- speculative works, are, th- are things that are definitely you know in the academy and, and things that are intellectual and, and, and important. It's not just kid stuff. In fact, it's probably more people
0: who are adults
1: who are into these type of things now than kids. Would you agree, or is it? You know? Oh,
0: oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, something that that motivated me to write the book was um, I I had grown up. Reading comics, mm-hmm. and while I was in college, um I stopped in part because right I went away to college in mm-hmm. the Midwest, mm-hmm. and I was away from like you know the comic store I would go to right. in, in high school, right so that that whole part of like my weekly ritual of going to pick up my books on Wednesday and what I was following stopped for a couple of years. then um I went to New York for graduate school, and <clears throat> one of the first things I did there was find. A new comic store <laughs> um anybody who knew me at the time would know that like after a couple of years in graduate school i was away um the comic store i would go to then closed mm. and it was like it was heartbreaking oh, man yeah. the the guy who worked there who was usually there when i picked up my books who was like super excited when i told him i was teaching comics in a class like he called me at home and was like oh the store is closed and i was like how? No. <laughs> it, was, it was like, it was a really important relationship. I can yeah. Yeah. And I realized, like, oh, you know, as an adult, right? And as a scholar, having something that was a diversion, mm-hmm. but also a source of research, also right. material to teach from, right. and a way of being in touch with creativity, it's really integral to a lot of people's lives. I mean, so few Americans read books, mm-hmm. right? But, People who read comics really have a regular commitment to reading material that raises important questions for them, that, that shows them an art form that's really meaningful. So I really value being able to do that wherever I live and whatever I read, um, and I know that that's the case for a lot of people. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And we're here with the author of Speculative Blackness, The Future of Race in Science Fiction. And this is a book published by the University of Minnesota Press. And the author is Andre M. Carrington, and he is a professor, an assistant professor of English at Drexel University. And this Drexel is in Philadelphia, correct? That's right. Yeah, Drexel in Philadelphia. And we're here on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And so speculative blackness, how long has this book been in the works for you, Andre?
0: Oh, man. Um like a lot of academic books. Mm-hmm. Um, the first book that a professor in, in literature or in the social sciences usually writes starts from their dissertation research. Mm, right, um, right. that was the case for me. Um, so it really, it started in, uh, I want to say like 2005 or wow. six
1: okay.
0: and, and came to fruition, you know, uh, about 10 years later, wow. you know, and that, that process of shaping it as, you know, uh, uh, proof of my scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. Proof of you know my ability to to do the research to earn a doctorate was one phase, and I you know a lot of people graduate from graduate school and say, "Oh, it's such a huge relief." <laughs> and then the real work—the real work began. Making, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the work of actually making that into a book was a whole other phase, a whole different kind of work, and really took another four or five years um, to make something readable to to think about, you know, new questions that had come to mind since I had first started the research and to research more things, right? To find out more things that I didn't know, that I didn't know I would need to talk about. Um and so it's really right a a a good third, almost a third of my life at this point, right? Like (laughs) half life, I guess. And that's um I hope that's represented in the book, right? That it's this journey that I took that is a a real part of what I've been thinking about for a long time.
1: I I think so, Andre. I mean, I I really enjoyed the book and, you know, we talked about this a little bit offline. You know, you, you talk about some subjects and things that are maybe like milestone, which we'll we'll get into and, you know, maybe aren't as familiar to, you know, people who maybe are younger, but they're very important in terms of black science fiction. Now pretty much everybody knows uh Uhura from <laughs> From Star Trek, you know the original series, or or now, but maybe some of the other things you talk about, they may not be as as familiar with. And so, you know, you know, I applaud you for um, your your effort, your you know your your research and the time that you took, and the love, you know, the love for the genre that's that's well evidenced and and, and your your writing. And so, I appreciate that. And like I said, I, you know, when I was a young person, and you know, I don't know about you, these books weren't out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so uh, for young people, definitely, or, or people who are interested in science fiction and African-Americans and science fiction, you definitely want to check out Andre's book. And the book is Speculative Blackness, Speculative Blackness, The Future of Race Science Fiction, the, the Future of Race in Science Fiction by the University of Minnesota Press. And before we get into the book a little bit more, Andre, is there anyone that you Want to give a shout out to, or that you that you want to mention that was really influential to you as you went through the process of writing this book or becoming an academic scholar? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, when I was in graduate school, uh, my advisor, uh, mentor, and became a friend uh, was Jose Esteban Munoz. Oh,
1: okay. um,
0: he was a, a scholar of performance studies, really a, a pioneer in that field, mm-hmm. um, and really somebody responsible for. Um, so, performance studies is a field of of scholarship that deals with theater and performance art but also sort of recognizes how we engage in performance right. as a part of our everyday life right and how so many different art forms can be considered as performance if you if you think of them in certain ways mm-hmm. and even politics right politics involves a great deal of performance not in the sense oh, yeah. of like a put on but really just like showing up like staging an intervention mm-hmm. and uh jose's work really shaped a whole generation of scholars mm-hmm. we are all finding each other now since he passed <laughs> away a couple years ago right and um his influence <clears throat> i think really made a lot of people like me see that as people of color as queer people of color, as scholars of mm-hmm. you know, topics that are considered way out or outre or like too, you know, too cool and trendy. Right. To be scholarly. Right. Um, he was someone who encouraged that and encouraged us to see what we do as valuable. And I can't talk about the book without really giving honor to but his his really to motivate me and other people to do that kind of work.
1: Uh, that's that's awesome, Andre. And I'm sure he's he's very proud of you right now. You know, and oh, yes, always. Yeah. Yeah, he's very proud of you right now, the work you've done and, and, you know, the others that he helped shape, um, you know, to become scholars. So thank you for mentioning him and, you know, and, and his work and his influence on you. That's really awesome. And so the book is Speculative Blackness, the Future of Race in Science Fiction. And we're here on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel with author Andre M. Carrington. He is an asso- excuse me an assistant professor of English at Drexel University, and his book is published by the University of Minnesota Press. And so, Andre, let's kind of get into the book a little bit. Uh, the title, "Speculative Blackness." You know, some people may not be be familiar with that. Can you maybe explain a little what that means? Sure, sure.
0: Um, so, speculative fiction is kind of an umbrella uh-huh. under which. Um, you can think of science fiction mm-hmm. and fantasy mm-hmm. and horror and mm-hmm. those those genres and the themes they deal with under kind of the same banner of speculative fiction right. because they're they're kinds of fiction that deal with things that that either can't happen right that are just straight up impossible according <laughs> to science or things that that we can't say happened mm-hmm. right things that are part of a a counterfactual history, right? Right, Or like a a possible future that hasn't come yet or might never come. Mm -hmm. And, and also, um, a different perspective, a different way of thinking about what is possible scientifically, politically, historically. So speculative is a good adjective for all of those things that we find Mm in, in horror movies and superhero comics and science fiction novels. Um, but it's also a way of, sort of grounding certain parts of black identity, right? Okay. and certain parts of black culture that that come up with ideas like that. And they come up with cultural practices that speculate, right? Mm-hmm. that depart from what's real or what's
1: known and ask wow. about what might be, what could be, what could have been. Mhm. Awesome, yeah. So speculative blackness, right? And so on your book cover you know, I see what looks like a maybe a automaton or a kind of a, uh, a robot or android man. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Can you ex- explain that and, and the significance to the audience?
0: Oh, totally. Um, I had first of all, I mean, part of that discovery is is a testament to uh, the publisher, to the press, for finding right. that image. And I realized, like, when I saw it, I was like, "Whoa, whoa." This is where did you find this <laughs> um, but I also um when I looked at the original image um it's a it's by an artist who is based in Switzerland who does a lot of sort of digital art with like science fiction futuristic themes and stuff okay. um but the the figure on the cover is like this black cyborg right. who also has um uh, who's like visibly right, like in complexion is visibly a black person, right, but also has like pink makeup on, and seeing that original image,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like even with it, it changed to really fit the cover to give you that contrast, to give you a sense of you know that there's more underneath that image. Mm-hmm. Seeing the original was super inspiring because I saw it as like, oh my gosh, this is perfect it's it's an image of. Someone who is clearly in or of the future, mm. someone who's like a new kind of person in the world, but also someone who is black and someone who is gender non conforming and mm. I thought like that's that's exactly the future I want to be a part of <laughs> right like that's who I want to be in the future. that's who I want to meet in the future right. and okay. and that's who it's for, you know that's who investigating that's awesome. the history of science fiction and its imagery is for it's for. Creating a future that welcomes people like that.
1: All right, that's that's great, Andre. Thank you for for sharing that. Right, so this definitely is some a, some speculative blackness here. You know, this yes. is a a possible future and a future that you yourself personally would be interested in, along with along with many other people as well, not just you. All right, yeah, that's that's awesome. And so, you know, let's let's kind of get into. Uh, some of the different subjects uh, that you talk about in the book, um, we can start anywhere anywhere that you like. If you have some specific things that you think the audience should pay attention to, or or that you'd like to discuss, sure.
0: Um, uh, I would start with the introduction, mm-hmm. but if anyone listens to other episodes of this podcast mm-hmm. or you know looks at other nonfiction critical books like this, mm-hmm. you realize that the introduction is actually the last thing the author writes. Right. Um, <laughs> So it doesn't, right, because it doesn't work until you know what it is you're introducing. So actually, um, the content of the book that starts in the first chapter Mm -hmm. kind of speaks to the perspective that I wanted to take. Um, The first chapter is about uh, a black writer in the 1950s who was a part of science fiction fan culture Mm -hmm. at a time when the way that science fiction fans found each other and – corresponded and talked about what interested them and got to know each other was through fanzines was through amateur printed magazines that they would send through the mail and form associations to distribute to each other. Um, That story is kind of known as a part of the history of science fiction and Mm -hmm. something that has always let uh, fans participate and has made it kind of democratic. A lot of authors got their start (laughs) comment about, about what they read. Um, But this black fan writer who I wrote about is a person who wasn't real, right? He was a a hoax. He was an invention of some white fans who wanted to sort of bring the idea of racial integration into their community and bring bring the the idea and the persona of a black person into their group in which everybody understood themselves to be all white. Mm -hmm. So that chapter um, kind of. It sets the stage in a number of ways for the way that I look at science fiction in the book. Um, it's about fans as people who make the genre meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. Fans interpret a text. They, they buy books. They see films. They talk about them. They give them the thumbs up or thumbs down, right. and they clue other people in to things that they might not find out about. Um, but fandom also is something that has a history, And one thing that I wanted to do in the book was to talk about fan culture and science fiction fan communities in a way that's different from the way that I had seen some other books and studies do it by looking back at earlier moments. And part of the hypothesis that I bring to the whole book is that black people have always been part of science fiction and have always been fans, Mm -hmm. but have have also kind of been Outsiders to the fan community or outsiders to the practice of being authors right. because of racial oppression and this moment from the 50s was one that kind of encapsulated a lot of those themes right where mm-hmm. these ideas of who black people are and what blackness means to science fiction really took place in our absence right that mm-hmm. the meaning of blackness for science fiction and in the lives of science fiction fans is based on. Uh, historically, more on what white folks think of us than what we actually say about ourselves. Um, So that episode from from that history really, I think, starts the conversation about what blackness means in science fiction Mm -hmm. at an early enough point, right, at a point where we can say, okay, it's not that these are new questions, it's that these are changing questions that have been there over time.
1: You know, and I think about some of your early uh fifties television shows and even going to the sixties and seventies where uh the portrayal of black people may not have been what people really experienced day by day. Or right, you, right. you know, it wasn't you know, what everyone was experiencing. And so, you know, this was like what's exactly what you're talking about here, Andre, what someone else's portrayal of what they think black people are. Very interesting. and it's kinda of sad in a way that you know it encompasses all different genre types you know not just television but science fiction as well you know the made right, up right. or created black person wow very yeah. interesting
0: yeah uh, there are a number of those right and part of what was important to me was that um first that uh the way that we think about science fiction in, in the academy academically um it takes up a uh it has a healthy thriving sort of sub-community in the study of film Mm -hmm. because there are great science fiction films and people who specialize in talking about that. And it has a good representation in the study of literature because there's a lot of literary texts, in part because science fiction writers have to write a lot to (laughs) make a living, right, and always have had to sort of make their way by selling books and selling stories and selling magazines. So there's a lot to work with. Um, But... There's less commentary, I think, about the way that fans, especially in the present, mm-hmm. um, the way that like the mass audience, the, the general public, encounters these questions and these narratives is often on TV, in, in comic books, in movies, in these ways that come to them rather than seeking them out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a saying that I think a lot of writers for comics and artists who make comics, um, Think about and that informs their work and that's that um every comic every issue of a comic is somebody's first comic book right right that's a good way so, to think about it <laughs> so for me thinking about right why i care a great deal about black characters in science fiction about uh black authors and artists who who create these images of ourselves and also the way we're depicted by others i think about that all the time mm. but for a lot of people coming to that imagery for the first time or if that's the only time they engage with with that intersection of blackness and science fiction is, you know, this one popular image like like Storm in the X-Men or, mm-hmm. or like Uhura in mm-hmm. Star Trek that to associate those images with each other to say that they're part of a shared history and a, a set of conventions mm-hmm. is um, I think to start the conversation in a place that says science fiction is part of popular culture. Uh, these questions of race and racism are integral. To popular culture for everybody because mm-hmm. we all come from different perspectives and I wanted to be able to to have the conversation on that popular plane right mm-hmm. on the plane of things that people will probably recognize um, and I wanted to balance that with sort of digging deep into the archives and ah, text right. that maybe people have to specialize in or have to go looking for to find
1: okay. And we're here today on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel, with the author of Speculative Blackness, The Future of Race in Science Fiction. And his book is published by the University of Minnesota Press. And we're here with Andre Carrington. He's an assistant professor of English at Drexel University. And so if you're, if you're interested in science fiction, specifically African-American science fiction, you're going to want to check out Speculative Blackness, Speculative Blackness absolutely. And so Andre, I guess I have to ask you too, you know, what was your favorite comic growing up or your favorite television show, science fiction show? <laughs> um
0: I grew up and this is like such a generational marker. Mm. Um I grew up watching Star Trek the Next Generation. Okay. Right? That okay. was that was it. That was the moment. And there's really like a like not just uh for everybody around today, but really like in the academy, in particular, right, in, among academics, if you're somebody who thinks of Star Trek and thinks of that original cast with, mm-hmm. with you know William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, that's that's a real generational touchstone. Mm-hmm. And if you're my generation, then you grew up watching you know Patrick Stewart, LeVar Burton, wow. and that was a moment, right? That shaped your view of like where does blackness come into contact with science fiction, right? <laughs> so my generation, it was like, oh, this black dude is. An engineer this black dude is a person who's disabled but like in the future you know he's a cyborg so right he can like he can see but Mm -hmm. he's a scientist he's a space explorer and I was like oh okay that's cool and um that I think marks the moment I grew up in in a way that a lot of people right who came up in the 80s and 90s saw and um I wrote a chapter in the book about Star Trek Deep Space Nine because it's um it's so formative right it's so unique in that it puts this black actor center stage right. and really takes on these racial questions very directly and takes them on in a way that reflects on, you know, the history of those kinds of images on television and in literature.
1: Absolutely. Benjamin Sisko, and I, I grew up with him as well. I was very excited. Avery Brooks, I think, is the actor, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, he's a, he's a black man, and he's a captain, he's in charge.
0: Yeah, it was... Um It was really formative, and one of the things, um, I noticed it at the time, and this is one of those sort of, uh, rhetorical things that lots of nerds will get, Mm -hmm. and I think that lots of, uh, like, lots of nerds in general, right? No matter what you nerd out about, it's the kind of thing you might pick up on, and I think for black nerds in particular, we'll pick up on the fact that, um, when Deep Space Nine starts on television in the mid-90s, um... Avery Brooks's character is not a captain yet. Mm. He's a commander, right? Right. So he's, like, not quite as advanced, not quite as in charge as these lead characters in the shows we've seen before. Right. And that's the kind of detail that's, like, a nerdy thing to home in on. But – it's exactly the kind of like that's the attitude that people bring to science fiction, especially yeah. like if you're talking about, you know, series of novels that have been around since the 1970s. or You're talking about, about TV shows that have been on for 30 years. People have taken like a scholarly interest in. Oh, that. Yes, absolutely. And so so to pick up on that kind of thing or to pick up on the fact that, oh, this is a black person who who thinks of himself as black. In the future, and we haven't really heard that talked about explicitly, right? Or to pick up on the idea that, oh, these these aliens on a planet that was colonized talk about colonialism as like, oh, that's that we know what colonialism is. It's a yes. real historical thing. So, so that particular moment in the 90s on television was compelling for me because mm-hmm. it raised questions directly. And um, looking at that moment as a touchstone speaks to, I think, um, both the scholarly interest and the nerd, the fan interest Mm -hmm. that's already present and says, you know, race and racism are central to both those things.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And so the show for, you know, those of the younger of us who are listening, the show is Deep Space Nine. You know, you had, you know, Commander Sisko, who was played by Avery Brooks, who was the uh, the, the commander, he was in, in charge of that, that space station. We won't get all into the <laughs> the details, but it was considered, a, you know, a, in a pretty special location because, you know, you could go from there to, you know, all kinds of other places. But it was different because you didn't really have uh, regularly scheduled black uh, commanders right. or, or, or or captains in, in, in Star Trek. Right. Uh, you know, but, you know, from that time, you started having women and you started having, you know, other captains. Uh, and, you know, other officers like you mentioned uh, Jordy Laforge on on your favorite show, the uh, the Next yeah. Generation, and going way back, which was you know the subject of your second chapter, Lieutenant Uhura. You know, going yeah. way back you know, to the sixties as a communications officer. Uh, so we were we were there in, in different ways,
0: right? Right, and that I think is um it's an encouraging thing to be able to say as a scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a lot of people, like starting a conversation. Is exciting as a scholar but for me um it's humbling and it's encouraging to be able to pick up a conversation that's been going on and to say it's important Mm -hmm. right so um i read michelle nichols memoir which is titled beyond uhura Mm -hmm. and um most of the original star trek cast um have written memoirs uh William Shatner has written several. Leonard Nimoy yeah. wrote several. Nimoy wrote one called "I Am Not Spock" I remember and wrote that. another one called "I Am Spock," <laughs> <laughs> um, which is great, right? Uh, but in all their memoirs, right, they talk about their careers as actors. They talk about what brought them to acting, what role science has played in their life because right. science has been such a part of science fiction. But Michelle um, Nichols's career is amazing. I mean, her. Her memoir is both a sort of celebrity biography, but it's also really a black girl story, Mm -hmm. right? It's really an African-American woman coming of age and becoming an artist and becoming an intellectual in this way that I think we can really appreciate seeing what she has done since that defining TV role and movie roles and seeing her as. You know, really one of few people who had that kind of opportunity Mm -hmm. to act, to do a role like that that wasn't stereotypical in the 60s.
1: And the character
0: lives on. uh, Yeah. Yeah. She lives on in a way that I think um, we can be really proud of now. Right. Because she was not a she was not a character who had a whole lot of lines. right. Right. That's really important. She had screen time because you had to see her on the set. But. She didn't say as much and she didn't do as much. Um, the fact that her career has endured, though, the fact that she parlayed that screen role into more screen roles, into expanding her role in the show and in the films over many years, um, and that she has acted for so many years and done so many different types of roles since then, Um, but can still look at that character and appreciate it. That's something I think I hope every black woman actor can do today. I hope that they can, on her example, and I thought, I I mean, I just hope that seeing what she has been able to do informs how many people can can live artistic careers.
1: Right. And I was thinking of just the the current version of the character, too, played by, I think the actress is Zoe Zaldana. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in this new series of movies, the character is much more uh, integrally, you know, um, you know, a part of the story, even having a, being a love interest for a uh, spot even. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's fantastic, right? It's a really good evolution of the role, and it answers a question that's really, right? It's a question that's right there, right? Which is, um, which could be answered a lot of different ways, right? There are a few moments in the original Star Trek series where, we see Uhura in a potential romantic situation, but not many. Um, but then the, the, the way that you make a blockbuster action movie today, which is what the J.J. The J. Abrams Star, Star Trek movies are, right. um, is that you have to put some romantic plot somewhere somewhere. And for some reason, right, you if you have a lead actress, that has to be right, what she's there for. <laughs> but at least they answer yeah. the question. Right? right. And if they answered it by saying, oh, she's asexual. She doesn't want a relationship. She doesn't want romance or she doesn't want sex. That would be cool. And if they answered it saying, like, oh, she's interested in women and there wasn't a woman interested in her in that version of the story. That would be cool, too. But if they answer it and say, like, oh, well, she's interested in this alien dude. And like, that's. They make that work. Right. He is very different in terms of his sexuality from other people. Mm -hmm. But like that is that is a really interesting, fascinating kind of couple to depict. And it's a cool thing to do
1: for an action movie. I think it it works out well. And it shows that love takes many different forms. And, you know, you can't really control, you know, kind of, you know, what happens, you know, you know, you just kind of love who you love and, you know, so on and so forth. And, yeah. yeah, that was a really interesting approach for me. Well, even with uh, you know, it's not the subject of your book, but even with Sulu, you know, in the most yes, you yes. know, and so I was really happy to to see that you know that they approached it in in that way with him having a child and having a husband, um, in the most recent one. And, yeah,
0: I mean, I just think that um, one of the benefits of how ardent and how passionate science fiction fans are about the narratives that are meaningful to us is Mm -hmm. um, that you can keep making the argument for what makes a story compelling Mm -hmm. and you can make it in many different ways. And I really actually like when we get, you know, multiple contradictory inconsistent versions of these (laughs) stories over many years, because it just, it gives you an entry point and it gives you a point to pick up on that might be exactly what you want from it.
1: Yeah. What you potentially could be interested in or what could be speaking to you from your own life experiences. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm here with the author of Speculative Blackness, The Future of Race in Science Fiction. And the author is Andre Carrington, and he is from the uh, Drexel University and assistant professor of English at Drexel. And the book is published by the University of Minnesota Press. And you're listening to me, James Stounce, your host on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. And you know, as I was going through your book, Andre, you know, I, I was really excited to see you write about Icon, one of the uh, yeah. one of the you know the Milestone comics characters. So let's let's talk about Milestone a little. You know, for people who are younger and may not um, you know be familiar with you know that Milestone era, um, can you you know talk about Icon or maybe Milestone and its importance to uh, Black history and to speculative blackness?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... So Milestone Media was uh, an independent, uh, black-owned company that produced multiracial, multicultural superhero comics in the 90s, and they reached a lot of people because they were distributed by DC Comics. So, right, DC had their imprint on them, but they could put Milestone Comics in any and all of the bookstores that DC Comics' titles like like Superman and Batman mm-hmm. would be in, um, so that meant they could reach me, and <clears throat> they could reach anybody, right? So it was really unique, right, to, to see comics that were for everyone, but really by and about people of color, um, able to reach people of color, right? So they didn't, like, overlook a black audience. They didn't overlook the the black members of their target demographic, who were usually, like, adolescent young men and women, mm-hmm. but they They really integrated black and Latino and Asian American and Native people into that storytelling and into the the effort to reach them. so like economically and and structurally, there are all these fascinating things about that business model, about what it achieved while it was going, mm-hmm. and about um just telling superhero stories, right, showing you know. Teams and gangs and uh, villains and conspiracies and all the good stuff you see in superhero Mm -hmm. stories um, in this environment where people looked like and had lives that were like uh, lots of the people who were already reading comics, right? But didn't quite see their perspective on the story told, right? Or didn't quite see, like, you know, what their superhero origin story would be told, right? So it was, um, their comics were really spectacular, um, not just for what they achieved and how they did it. Um, but they were just extremely high quality. I think that, um, we've seen a great enthusiasm for comic books come back in recent years. Right. And I think we have seen a, a, a reinvestment in their quality, mm-hmm. right? I think that there are some real stars writing and making comics today. Uh, Roxane Gay writes, um, the world of Wakanda comic, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, Gail Simone's career in comics has been going strong for years, and that's Absolutely. spectacular. And there are a lot more um, independent uh, authors who, make, uh, who produce graphic novels or produce web comics mm-hmm. that get Shine now that they wouldn't have like 10 years ago. Um, but I think that Milestone was a part of what made that possible. And at the same time, Milestone is sort of a, a, a missing chapter in the history of, you know, superhero comics as this popular form that people look to or look back on fondly. Cause it was there for a lot of people in, in their teen years, like it was for me. And right. I think that it's, it's, um, it's sort of left out of the conversation of, you know, how do we do diversity in storytelling or how do we, balance these these ordinary concerns with racism and and economic disadvantage with these far-fetched superhero stories and they did it right it's not a new thing they did it and they did it extremely well in the 90s it's a matter of you know returning to the source and and picking up those skills mm-hmm.
1: I, you know I would love to see some you know we've got all these avengers movies and superman yeah. and batman I would love to see icon out there or You know some of the other was it hardware? So you know some of those other characters, you know, uh, you know, in their own movies or on on television. So Oprah, if you're listening, let's get some let's get some science fiction (laughs) on the own network. (laughs) Right, right. I'm like, where is
0: this capital going to come from, Uh, Oprah? I don't know. (laughs) 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 But if someone gets a milestone comic to Oprah, it will. I mean, they will need to put it back in print. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and there and there are like graphic novel versions of you know yeah. available out there. Um, yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's a there's a great
0: uh, afterlife of those properties, right? Yeah. They're not under the same umbrella anymore, but Dennis Cowan, one of the main artists who worked on yeah. Milestone Comics, is still doing great work. Um, Dwayne McDuffie, who was kind of the mastermind behind a lot of that material, yeah. passed away. Fortunately, yeah, yeah, he's passed away, but he had a a huge role in making. Uh, DC Comics animated superhero series take place on the Cartoon Network and, and Warner Brothers. Right. And um, so those those things that they made possible at the time have really, I think, done a great service and like a really historic service for just telling stories about superheroes and telling stories about people of color in any medium.
1: Absolutely. And so what you know, what, what is your opinion on some of the things that are out now? You know, you have Luke Cage that's really popular on uh, Netflix. Uh, you have the Black Panther movie coming out soon. And, you know, Black Panther was heavily featured in the uh, last Captain America movie. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, what are your thoughts on those? I mean, are, you know, are we moving more towards having, you know, some main black characters, you know, and, you know, some feature length, you know, black characters on t- you know television? You, you know, Black Lightning is going to be coming out pretty soon.
0: Yeah. I'm uh, I am really excited for that black lightning TV show mm-hmm. that was announced in part because of, um, because of who's going to be involved in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's, uh, I think it's one of the creators is Mara Brock Akil.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I thought, Whoa, this is all right. Black women. This is a come up <laughs> Um, in part, it's a come up because, uh, you know, action primetime TV shows are great. Right. They, they sell good advertising and I am very happy for people who create that kind of stuff to, to really get the shine that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that it will make that series and that story about a black superhero, um, a story that has some complex, uh, uh, adult themes and perspective, right? Right, right, There will be that action adventure, but there will be that human side of the story that I think has made Mara Brock successful. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I think we'll just take seriously the interest that black women and that young women of color show in stories like this, right? Okay. I mean, if I think of um of one place online and in the world of fans that has like uh sustained the enthusiasm for nerdy culture in recent years, it's okay. been um uh Jamie Broadnax and Black Girl Nerds. Uh,
1: okay. Right?
0: And that's, you know, that's really they they speak to, you know, this discerning public, right? This the set of consumers and and you know creative thinkers and and artistic minded people who want to see you know stories that do justice to where they're coming from and that's something that makes me really excited it's not even to knock like luke cage because they did great work for the black women characters uh who are on that series Mm -hmm. um but it's to say that that's really taking something that's going right and extending it um so i've been like i'm super excited to see that version of that story done well I was excited to see um, the performances in uh, Captain America Civil War mm-hmm. um, and the, the depictions of Black Panther and, and the little gestures toward what we might expect in that film. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm also excited to see how that like invigorated and drew people's interest to Ta-Nehisi Coates writing a comic. Right, absolutely. Candy writing a comic because I see like here is this wonderful crossover between black writers, right, people who write in different genres in print, and this blockbuster, you know, popular entertainment that that doesn't necessarily take up as big a role in, you know, the high-minded academic conversations that that I am happy to be able to have, right, to see that that crossover and that renewed interest in, you know, what are contemporary black writers doing, right? What what is somebody who writes bad Feminist, right what is roxane gay as a black woman saying as a literary professional right what is the person who wrote between the world and me and beautiful struggle right what is this contemporary black author doing and to to make that connection
1: mm-hmm. is
0: i think really important because it reminds us you know black people are deep thinkers mm-hmm. we do this kind of work and we do it for fun And we also do it, you know, because we're driven to, because we have those those intellectual passions.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, another series that's going to be coming out soon is uh, Cloak and Dagger, which is going to be on the uh, Freeform, one of the which is formerly ABC Family, which is a love story between a young black male and a white female. You know, again, this was a, you know, a comic that I grew up reading. And so it'll be interesting to see how that is portrayed. And I think that'll be out sometime later in in the year. Uh,
0: I don't know. Um. I don't know Cloak and Dagger well
1: mm-hmm.
0: as a story, um, but I do think that um, because like I've seen glimpses of them in other comics occasionally, mm-hmm. and I thought like, oh yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> there, this is this is something that that has its own history, and then they show up as like, oh yeah, this is one of a few superhero stories about interracial. Relationships,
1: mm-hmm. But
0: that's most of what I know about them. Mm-hmm. So I'm really going to have to look to, right, the TV version to oh, get any sense of them beyond that, right? Yeah. To get any sense of, like, how exactly does the, the superhero, the science fiction element of that work? Because I've really never known, like, mm-hmm. the reputation of them outside of, oh, yeah, this is, like, dealing with this serious relationship issue.
1: Well, don't don't worry, Andre. I'll get you up to speed after the Thank interview. Thank you. <laughs> I'll point you to one of my articles I wrote about it, and uh, Excellent. and then uh, I'll get you up to speed. We could talk about that offline, but uh, yeah, it's just, it just should be an interesting show, and you know the interracial aspect, um, like you said, I think will be uh, uh, really interesting to see because because the free form is something that's to, is geared towards children or like younger audience. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see, and um, the director of if you remember the movie Love and Basketball. Oh yeah. Um, and she's done a couple of other uh, she's yeah, tremendous. Movies. Yeah, well, she, <laughs> yeah right. she is directing the pilot episode. Oh, excellent. All right, and so you know, so that tells you there's going to be some love and some you know some kind of heavy romantic tension or whatever the case may be. And so, oh yeah, yeah. And so that's certainly some speculative blackness. When we, when we think about yeah, what, you're gonna, what you're going to get with uh, uh, cloak and, and dagger.
0: Yeah, yeah, um just thinking about uh Gina prince bythewood the mm-hmm. director um uh She Made Beyond the Lights. Um, that, that's it.
1: That's which I think it's
0: another film, you know, it's, it's somebody else's job to have that that discussion with you <laughs> and maybe on the same channel maybe on another. But um it's another it's not um this is a, an argument that I think is fun to have, right? Afrofuturism is in part, right? telling any kind of story of blackness, any future for us, any perspective on us that isn't, you know, that isn't sort of like held back, but is like moving forward is expansive is mindful and beyond the lights was like, because of its complexity, um, because of the quality of the imagery and the performances in it, it was just, um, you know, it's a really good love story and it's also a really inspiring everyday sort of story for black people. Um, but Gina Prince-Bythewood doing that, I think, OK, if she wants to be an Afrofuturist, if we want to say Afrofuturism is what she has done with stories that aren't even science fiction, I'll, I'm here for it. <laughs>
1: right. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to see, so she, yeah, we're gonna so see what she does so with this cloak and dagger, because that definitely exactly. is going to put her fully into yeah. that you know, astrofuturism camp. Right? right. And so when we talk about um, speculative blackness, which is your book title, um, but also astrofuturism. Thank you. For, uh, astro. Sorry. Afro. Futurism. Thank you for explaining that to the audiences because you know that's that's really what we're talking about. Black people in in the future, future ideals, you know, things that we can do. And you know, when I was younger, Andre, we used to always joke, "Are there going to be black people in the future?" Because you look right. at these, these shows on television, there were no black people, or there was one. Right. So, like, you know, what happened to us? Did they get rid of us all?
0: <laughs> yeah, and and that's wild, isn't it? I mean, the part of what I critique and what I try to diagnose in the book is really um just kind of a failure of imagination, right? Mm -hmm. That says we can't think in sophisticated ways about the future and also think in sophisticated ways about race and racism. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's, you know, black writers can do that. Many authors of color can do that. And some white writers can do that. And that proves that it's not that it can't be done. Right. So to the extent that it's not done, to the extent that we look to the future and see it is, it is wonderful, it's tremendous that Lieutenant Uhura is there. That should mean, oh, it makes all the sense in the world that in 1960 and in 1860, right, people should know black people are intelligent and free and, and gifted and unique, right? But it always takes some critique and some struggle just to make that known, right, just to expand people's imagination, Absolutely. to to receive that message and to work with it
1: So we're, we're there we're everywhere we're in the future yeah. we're, we're in the past you know uh you know as african-americans we, you know we are there and so the book is speculative blackness the future of race in science fiction and i think the future is bright of race and science fiction i don't know about you andre what do you think
0: um actually that that has been a a question that comes up sometimes um of whether Afrofuturists are sort of in a, in a camp or um, among thinkers who, you know, who predict or who look forward to a, a good or a better future. Um, right. Sometimes it is that. And sometimes, uh, particularly um, in the fiction of Octavia Butler, in the fiction of right. Samuel Delaney, um, in some of the fiction of Joel Gomez – Uh, and some of the fiction of Nnedi Okorafor, right? I could Mm -hmm. go on. Um, Black people who tell science fiction stories often think of the future and it seems pessimistic, but there are still many of the same problems we have today, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that, oh, black people are actually pessimistic. And it's also not to say that, um, that, that black people don't think things will ever change, but I think something um, in the work of those writers I mentioned in particular, uh, there's a way of thinking about the future and being optimistic in some respects, right? Thinking that we will still be here and we'll be able to thrive, and if there are continued struggles, we'll be able to continue them and and triumph in certain ways. But there's also a kind of responsibility that some of those authors take up that says, well— we're not going to portray the future instead of thinking about the problems of the present, right? We're going to portray it and think maybe we'll come up with some ways of solving some of the problems of the present, but we won't stop thinking about them, right? We Mm. won't take environmental degradation off the table. We won't take racism off the table. We won't take patriarchy off the table. We might show some options for getting through them. And we might show some possibilities for, Mm for continuing and succeeding in some of the struggles we have today. And that that I think means, you know, uh, looking at enough science fiction, enough science fiction by black thinkers um, allows you to be optimistic if you want to be and allows you to to not be pessimistic if you want to be. And I think that's encouraging.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely encouraging. So that's definitely something to think about for the future, just like in the present and the past. is not perfect. No, no, no it never was never was and unfortunately it probably never will be um so you know we just do the best we can with what we have and that's what they're going to be doing in the future cisco and uhura and everybody else right yeah yeah this is really um
0: i'm reading some of uh uh i just read binti by neddy okorafor and Mm -hmm. it's tremendous and there's a sequel but i'm a little bit mad that there's like a third sequel so i'm already behind (laughs) um so i'm trying to catch up with it now but um when I read stories like that, and I think, oh man, this is—it's—it's it's a whole other level. The—the the perspective that is like planetary and really grounded and really in depth that some writers working today have, I think mm-hmm. that's—that um, is exactly how we will make it. You know, we'll make Absolutely. it in the future because we can do this
1: now. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. And we talked a little bit earlier, and I just want to mention this uh, on the air. You know, we talked about this future project that's going to be coming with uh, Aaron Magruder and Will Packer, which is going to be on Amazon, right? And it's going to be similar to the uh, – it's a counterfactual history, yeah. alternate history show, and it's, it's kind of shrouded in mystery. But it's supposed to kind of uh, be similar or take a cue from The Man in High Castle, which is a kind of an alternate history about what if Germany would have won uh, uh, World War Two. Yeah. And so – you know, so that's definitely gonna be something we should look out for, andre, you know in terms of you know black science fiction, you know what is it gonna be about you know black people in the future, black people in the past you know, I don't know you know it'll be interesting to see right yeah, yeah,
0: um I was thinking um when uh when you raised the the you know possibility of what we'll mm-hmm. see in that project, I was thinking two things I was thinking one. If uh, mm-hmm. Aaron McGruder is involved, it's it's going to make people mad and it's going to make people <laughs> laugh, <laughs> right? It'll, right. it'll at be at the same time, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm I'm excited. I'm here for it, right? Um, it'll make it'll be funny, but sometimes it'll be funny because it's true, and that'll make you mad. Um, but uh, I also thought, oh, it sounds like this this counterfactual history thing, this what if storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think of the, uh, mockumentary, um, Confederate States of America. Right.
1: CSA. Right. And
0: that, um, when I heard about that, oh, I don't know if this is going to be good, right? Years ago, um, when it was out. Um, mm-hmm. when I saw it, it was on video. Um, but I thought, I don't know that I want to see that. Cause I didn't know, like, what the format would be. I sort of knew it was going to mm-hmm. be a mockumentary, but I looked it up and found out, oh, okay, the writer and director was black. That's interesting. Cause I thought, I I didn't know that we would be that interested in telling that kind of story. <laughs> but when I saw it, I realized like, oh, there is really like a there's a comic perspective in that mm-hmm. that's so dark. <laughs> and it's it's dark and it's grim, but it's really smart. It's really funny. And I think that's that's, you know, that's somebody who is a student of black history, that's somebody who has been paying attention Absolutely. right to what the Confederacy meant to black people, right? And what its history in the present means to black people. And so that way of flipping the script of telling that, that what if story that people attentive to, to black history tell, that's a, that's an exciting thing. So I think I, I'm glad it will be funny. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it if it promises some of that.
1: All right. And so, and, and the movie that Andre's talking about is a yeah, con- CSA yeah. I think is you know yeah Confederate States of America and it's a uh, kind of an alternate history about what if you know uh, the uh, if the Confederate States of America existed into today's world yeah, yeah. and so uh, you know and I was also thinking maybe this Magruder Packer project could be uh, Ben H Winters uh, Underground Airlines which is about four states and this is a, a recent um, uh, book that came out it's a novel about four states you know that g- still have slavery up until uh the present day. And, you know, you know, what kind of would happen with that. And, you know, then there's also some some other kind of what if things that could potentially be the subject of uh a Magruder uh Packer collaboration, but I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I am um I'm excited by how much and it's not even that it is that much, but just how much more Attention to you know what Black folks have said and thought about mm-hmm. American history we see in some of these narratives today, um, and that's encouraging, right? It, it validates my sense that that Black history is American history, right? That mm-hmm. you know it's now when we're recording this it's uh, the first day of Women's History Month, right? And that that mm-hmm. Women's History Month is Black Women's History Month too, right? That it really um, seeing projects like this come to fruition, seeing people rethinking the legacies of the past. Um, that's actually something that uh, I think black folks concerned with the future do, right, that we reconsider what's important and and we show it in different ways.
1: Absolutely. Well said, Andre. Well said. And you know I'm, I'm looking at our time here, Andre. I know that you've got to get back to those Drexel University students yeah. <laughs> and grade some papers and, and do some of that scholarly work that pays the bill in addition to writing your books. But before we go. I did want to ask you if you don't mind sharing, you know, what are some things that you're currently working on or some future research projects or things that, you know, maybe you don't mind sharing with the audience or places, other places that people could find your work?
0: Uh, for sure. Um, I had the the good fortune of writing for uh, Black Perspectives, the blog of the African-American Intellectual oh, yeah. History Society recently. Um, and uh, I wrote an essay about uh, the comic uh, Black Panther that um in part is a, a way of kind of returning to comics a bit. Um I wrote a bit uh two chapters of Speculative Blackness are about comics, but as I said, it's um it's hard to keep up with things that are current. But being able to go back to some of that and to to display certain interests in um in what's going on that's contemporary has been really exciting. Um so I wrote that and I'm also writing a chapter for uh, a book that is kind of a, a guide to literary interpretation um, mm. and queer theory, um, and the chapter of that okay. book will be about uh, queer theory and comics and what they do for um, each other and what they have to do with each other. Okay. And do you
1: know, has that book been titled Um yet? Yeah, it's titled
0: After Queer Studies. It will come out from a Cambridge okay. University Press. Uh, okay. Uh, I think... Um, Sometime next year. Uh, The editors are are wrangling a lot of people like me who may have been just under the deadline for their chapters. So
1: so I'll be a part of that. Trying to get you guys in. Right. And the piece that you uh, wrote for Black Perspectives, which I read, by the way, I want to let you know that. Um, That was before we had met. So I didn't even realize that was you. But uh, I know Dr. Blaine very, very well. So I I read that quite a bit. And it's the African-American Intellectual History Society. Right and, and and black perspective. So Jeff, definitely check out Andre's work there on Black Panther. And that wasn't that long ago. That was just maybe a few months back. Right? Yeah, and it's still available. Yeah. yeah, it's still available on the on the the page.
0: Yeah, yeah, it still is. And um, it's um a part about uh, Black Panther is a good hook, uh, but it's also um just about the overall right sort of what that represents. That there's a certain yeah. crossover moment for comics. And science fiction and the the interest that feels like African-American studies have had for a long time. And we're seeing it in these visual media now.
1: Absolutely. And so, yeah, check check Andre out. Andre M. Carrington, his piece on black perspectives the African-American intellectual history society's uh, blog page. And you should definitely check out his book, which is the main focus we're talking about today. Speculative Blackness, The Future of Race in Science Fiction, and it's published by the University of Minnesota Press. And again, the author is Andre Carrington, and he's an assistant professor of English at Drexel University. And with that, Andre, I think we're going to let you go, get get back to grading. I don't know if you want to say hello to any of your English students over at Drexel. Oh, I mean, (laughs) I really hope
0: that they listen to the podcast because it means that they are keeping up with new books and... Right. I, more power to them. I have trouble keeping up with new books, <laughs>
1: but I'm glad that they are. All right. So, will Mister, Ke- will Doctor Carrington be giving them any extra credit I no. they uh, if they say No, they I don't <laughs> <I really> do <don't. laughs> I tried. y'all. Yeah. Yeah. that's I, awesome. I I, I I tried. All right, so we're gonna let Doctor Carrington get back to work at, at Drexel over in in Philadelphia. And thank you so much, Dr. Carrington, for your time today. I enjoyed talking with you about your book, Speculative thank Blackness. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's
1: been great. A- absolutely. And so we're going to end it here on the New Books Network, the African American Studies Channel. We're here with Andre Carrington, the book, Speculative Blackness. So you can tell the audience goodbye. Andre, we'll see you Thanks later. very much. All right. Take care. and We'll see you next time on the New Books Network, the African American Studies Channel. I'm your host, James Stanson Peace and love. All right, we're back. This is your host, James Stancil of the New Books Network, African-American Studies channel. And I just finished an interview up with Andre M. Carrington about his book, Speculative Blackness, The Future of Race in Science Fiction. It's published by the University of Minnesota Press. And if you're in Philadelphia, go by and check Andre out. He is an assistant professor of English at Drexel University. I hope you enjoyed the interview Black science fiction is becoming something that you see more and more now, and he does a great job, like I said earlier, of kind of going into the history and and talking about some specific aspects and elements in his book. So definitely check his book out. And if you're interested in black science fiction, Andre told me to let you know. Hey, email him. uh, Look for him on Twitter or on Facebook. He would love to hear from you. He's definitely a fan of science fiction in general and black science fiction in particular. So I hope you enjoyed that interview and we will see you next time and hear you next time on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. And I'm your host, James Stansel. Take care. Peace and love.